Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Hello friends, if I haven't met you before, my name is Brian, I'm the creative pastor here at CTK Bellingham and I'm so excited to be with you this weekend. And I want to start this morning with a scripture I want to share with you out of Psalm 121 and I just want to give you full permission if you hear anything that you believe that you think is true, you have my absolute blessing to say amen or hallelujah or whatever it is. So this is Psalm 121. It says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of the heavens and the earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Amen. amen and amen. Has anyone else ever noticed that when we read Scripture, oftentimes we see the things that we want to see? Has anyone else ever noticed that sometimes our focus is actually drawn to the things that truly resonate with us that seem like good news? I think that's why we talk so much about the new life that we have in Christ, because it is beautiful. We get beauty for ashes, we get forgiveness for sins, and we get this hope, we get this purpose that we're invited into, but oftentimes we don't talk quite as much or spend as much energy really resonating with the scriptures that say that the only way that we can actually access this new life that we've been given is to die to our old self. There's usually not as many amens in that part. But there has to be a putting down for there to be a picking up. There actually has to be a letting go for there to be an opportunity for us to grab onto what Jesus is inviting us into. 
but sometimes it's just easier for us to see the things that we want to see. And I wish it were just in the way that I read Bible stories, but my wife says that I do it as well when I listen. She calls it selective hearing. (laughs) Here's how it works. Here's a hypothetical if you would go with me. If it were potentially a Thursday night and there were 11 seconds left in the game and the Rams kicker is about to kick a 48-yarder and I'm praying to the God of Jacob that he misses (laughs) because I believe in my core of who I am that our God is a good God, he's a just God, and he loves Russell Wilson and the Hawks. In that moment, if we, were, if we were right there in that moment, if my wife were to say something along the lines of, Brian, would you like to help me tidy the kitchen? I can tell you with confidence, I would not hear a single word that was spoken. And it's not that I'm ignoring her. It's actually, I was reading about it this week. It's actually science. It's the way the brain prioritizes sounds. It's science. I take zero responsibility for this. But on the other hand, if she were to say something along the lines of, I just got back from Dairy Queen and I got you this large cookie dough blizzard. Friends, I can't tell you how quickly I would hear every word that she said. It doesn't matter how close the game is in this moment because sometimes it's easier for us to hear the things that we want to hear. And sometimes it's easier for us to see the things that we want to see. And what's interesting about this particular psalm, Psalm 121, is that we tend to see the fact that David tells us where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Amen. That's good news. But what we fail to see, because we're so focused on the good news, is that David never tells us when our help is going to come or what it's going to look like when it gets there. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but those two specific details are extremely important when I'm in a moment of need. When's the help going to come and what's it going to look like? But this is the tension that we live with as Christians. We know where our help comes from, but we don't always know when it's going to show up and what it's going to look like. And this week we get to look at a story where the disciples can't seem to see the help that God put right in front of them because it doesn't look the way that they expected it to look. But before we get into this story, I just want to take a moment and pray for us. So if you bow your head, Lord Jesus, would you do the thing in this moment that only you can do? God, would you change our hearts? Would you soften the soil? Would you allow us to think more highly of your thoughts than our thoughts? And would you allow us the gift of being able to actually see the needs of others before our own? God, we want to be changed. We are here in this moment, in this place. Uh, God, we know that your spirit is here. And God, we just ask that you would give us the courage to listen to the word that you've given us. God, would we be changed by it? Will we walk out of these doors more excited about the work that you've called us to do, even if that means that we're called into that which is uncomfortable? God, we love you, and we pray that you would speak clearly, God, and would you give us the opportunity to hear you and to listen. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 So I titled this weekend's talk, If Only. Everyone say, If Only. If only only I had a little bit more money, maybe then I would be happy. Has anyone ever heard that one? If only I was a little better looking, maybe then they would like me. Or here's one that hits pretty close to my heart. If only I was a little taller, maybe then I could have made it into the NBA. (laughs) And I'd be a millionaire and it would be awesome. Or uh, try this one on for size. If if only they would have run the ball when they were on the one-yard line. (laughs) 
when there was 27 seconds left in the most important game of their lives, if only, if only. You know, so many of our best excuses start with those two words, if only. Today we're going to continue our series, Friend of Sinners, but I want to be clear on the front end that this isn't just a series about how Jesus treated people who got caught in sin. So oftentimes when we hear this word sin or this word sinners, we get a very specific picture of the type of people it's talking about and the type of stories that might be mentioned with those words. But I just want to be abundantly clear that this isn't a series about those people and this isn't a series about those stories. This is a story and a series that actually encapsulates what it looks like for you and me to pursue the person of Jesus because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. So we are all sinners, and we are all in need of this friend, Jesus, friend of sinners. And so this is about us. And this week, we're going to look at a story that most of you are most likely familiar with. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I don't know if you know this, but this is the only miracle that uh, gets written about in all four of the Gospels, aside from the resurrection of Christ. So resurrection of Christ and the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all thought, this is the stuff, this is what I'm going to talk about, and each one of them have their own account. And so uh, for our sake, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 10. You're more than welcome to read along with me if you have a Bible or an app, otherwise it's going to be up on the screens or in your programs. But it says this, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they'd done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it, and they followed him. He welcomed them, and they spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve, which is the disciples, Jesus' followers, came to him and said, Send the crowds away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. And they answer, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for the whole crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to the disciples, have them go sit in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heavens, Jesus gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. And they all ate, they were all satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. Amen. So this story really starts with Jesus looking for a place of refuge, a place of rest. And, and if you know a little bit more about the greater story about what's happening, we know that Jesus had just received word that one of his close friends, the person who actually baptized him, John the Baptist, had just been killed and so that's why he is drawing back and trying to find a place of refuge so that he can begin the process of healing and grieving the loss of a friend. But it says the crowds followed him anyway because they heard about what he could do. Not what he had to say, but what he could do for them. And this is the part of the story where we find out that Jesus is much nicer than I am. Because rather than reprimanding, or I don't know if he's God smiting the people for not respecting his privacy... Instead, he chooses to turn towards, to heal, and to teach them about the kingdom of God. But as evening approaches, the disciples want to send the crowds away so that they can actually go get something to eat, which seems like a reasonable thing for them to do because there's no food there. But Jesus has other plans. He says, you give them something to eat. 
I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You kind of have a broad strokes idea. We should let these people go so that they can get the thing that they need. And then all of a sudden, people hear it differently than the way that you said it. And all of a sudden, they say, well, well you do something about it. it. Ends up on your plate. You're like, I never wanted this on my plate. I was just saying they need some food. That's what's happening here. And immediately what the disciples do, I love this, they lose their collective minds, they get flustered, and they do what any of us would have done, which is starting to make as many excuses as they could. They start coming up with all of these statements that start with these two words, if only, if only. If only we had more food, Jesus. If only we had more money. If only we had more time, then maybe we could run up to the town, but it's, it's getting kind of late, and there's so many of them. Scripture says there was 5,000 men, but most scholars and theologians agree that there was between 15,000 to 20,000 people in total when you count the women and the children. If only we had a little bit more time or, or, or money or food, then maybe we could come up with a meal. But this is, this is all context to the moment that I'm bringing us to here. And this is, this is the first thing I really want us to understand because Jesus is saying, we are going to have a meal for these people. And all of them are saying, if only we had all these things, but they don't know what the plan is yet. But this is what Jesus does before he actually says, here's the plan. He actually says, go have everyone sit down. So everyone's looking for a plan. And Jesus says, you know what? Pause the conversation. I want you to go have everyone sit down. In that culture, that meant that the food's coming. So if you sit down, that means the meal is cooking right now and it's about to be served. And keep in mind, this is the thing I think is so interesting. Jesus could have easily, easily told them what the plan was. He could have easily said, okay, guys, I'm going to lay it out for you. Here it is. Here's my plan. Step one, we're going to steal this kid's Lunchable. (laughs) Step two, I'm going to take it. I'm going to make it more than it was at the beginning. I'm going to break the bread, and all of a sudden there's going to be more. There was a little, now there's going to be a lot. Step three, you're going to take the bread that I've made into much, and you're going to bring it out to the crowds. Step four, everyone's going to eat, and they're going to be satisfied. Step five, it's going to be crazy. They're going to write books about it. You're going to be famous. It's going to be wonderful. Everyone's going to say, where were you that day? You're going to be like, I literally was there. I brought the bread. You made it many, and I brought it to the people. It was wonderful. And that's the plan. Everyone puts their hands in and boom, let's go. And if that's how it went, I would have felt a lot better about going and getting 20,000 people ready to eat a meal. Jesus could have easily told them the plan. He could have easily calmed their nerves. He could have easily given them more specific instructions, but, but he didn't. He didn't. And that's really important for us to see. Guys, I need you to hear this. Sometimes God doesn't resolve the tensions that we're feeling in our hearts because he knows that it's doing something in us that's more important than our comfort. And these don't get as many amens. People love the messages on deliverance. They don't love the messages about, oh, maybe Jesus just needs me to sit in this moment because he's actually preparing me for what's next, not trying to make me comfortable right now. Sometimes God doesn't pull us out of the situations that we want him to pull us out of. Because he knows that what he's doing, what he's actually doing in our hearts, what he's stretching and growing us into is more important than our comfort in a moment. And as much as we want deliverance, God wants us to be ready for the plan that he has created for us, that he's laying out in front of us. You know, this week I was listening to a podcast that was talking about today's dating culture. It made me really glad that I'm no longer dating. It sounded quite confusing. 
but he was talking about how risk-adverse people had become. And I don't know if you guys know this. These days, if you like somebody, you don't actually have to talk to them. These days, if you like somebody, you don't even have to talk to their friends to have your friends talk to them. These days, you don't even have to do what I did back in grade school and write out a little note with a yes or a no for them to like X or circle or whatever it has you. You don't have to do any of that. These days, they've got these, these apps and you just literally have to swipe your finger. And the, re- the risk of rejection is low because you only find out about the people who reciprocate. And even after they reciprocate, still you don't have to talk to the person. You still get to message to make sure that there's a connection. There's even an added layer on some of these apps that, that, that can make sure that you only see the people that match whatever criteria you put into place. So, so let's make sure we understand all these levels. You set the criteria. It shows you all the people who match your criteria. You swipe the people that look up to your, we'll say, aesthetic standards. You wait and see who reciprocates. And then you message them to make sure that there's a connection. And then once you've made sure that you've messaged and had a connection with this person who met your criteria and looks the way that you want them to look, if all goes well, then you can set up a meeting. It's like, it's like they've taken every moment of risk along the relationship-seeking path and they've taken it out of play so that people can have a safe opportunity to find love. But oddly enough, friends, what this study is showing is that at the end of the process, what people are finding is companionship, but they're not actually finding the love that they so desperately want. And the hypothesis of this whole story and this whole study is that you can't take the risk out of love because love without risk isn't love. Love without risk isn't love. You can't fall in love without falling. People want the end result, but they don't want the process. And that's what Jesus is actually showing us in this story, that you can't take the mystery out of faith because faith without mystery isn't faith. If you know exactly what you're stepping into, then it's not a step of faith that you're taking, it's just a step. And God's very interested in the faith that we have so that we can follow after him with confidence. So you can ask God for all the clarity in the world. You can say, God, I want to know the plan before I actually step into this thing. But sometimes God lovingly withholds clarity from you because he wants faith for you. Sometimes God lovingly invites us into action in the midst of the mystery just so that we can build our capacity to stand in the not knowing. Because he knows what we need and even sometimes what we need isn't what we want. So God says, I'm not going to resolve that tension yet. I'm not going to pull you out of that situation yet because I'm still doing something in you that you're going to need for what's next. And it makes me wonder, how many of us are waiting for clarity? How many of us are waiting for the step-by-step plan? First, we're going to do this. Then you get to be like, okay, yes, I can step into that because I know exactly what it's going to be. We're looking for clarity, but God's inviting us into action in the midst of the mystery because he wants to build our capacity for faith. He says, first, I want to see your faith. Then I'm going to show you my faithfulness. He says, first, I want you to prepare, and then I'm going to show you where the provision comes from. You know, he could have calmed their nerves by telling them the plan at the beginning of the story, but God knew it was more important that they had faith at the end of the story. Can I get an amen on that one? 
I know that's a hard one to amen, but it's so important. Sometimes God leaves us in a situation because he's doing something in us that's so much more important than what we want or what we're comfortable with. So he said to the disciples, go get them ready for a meal. Then he invites them into the conversation about where the food's going to come from. And it's according to the Gospel of John that it's only Peter's brother, Andrew, who has the courage to speak up and offer a suggestion. Apparently, Andrew says, hey, Jesus, what about this kid? He's got a lunch. Looks like he's got five loaves and it's got two fish. And I just try and imagine this moment, right? I try and put myself in the situation. And I can't help but think that the second that he said it, he wished he wouldn't have said it. When he looked out and saw the people, I wish he was probably just like, you know what, never mind. Stupid idea. I had to say it out loud, but now that I've heard it go out into the ethos, I knew that that's clearly not enough. Stupid idea. You know what? Continue on without me. I'm going to sit in silence. And everybody else collectively rolls their eyes and looks to Jesus as if to say, see, this is what we're working with. We have nothing. All we've got is these stupid loaves and these tiny fish. Scripture says they were tiny fish. Didn't have to. Two fish. Even if they were big fish, isn't enough. But they said they were tiny fish. So this is all that we got. We got nothing. You see, the disciples didn't recognize God's help because it didn't look the way that they thought it would. They were looking for a lot. But God actually wanted to multiply a little. And of course, the good news of this story is that those five loaves and those two fish were exactly what Jesus needed for what he was going to do. Those five loaves and those two fish were exactly what Jesus needed. You know, a lot of times I think that we miss kind of the essence of this story. We think it's about Jesus, and we think it's about the power of God to take a little and turn it into a lot. And, and I'll give you that. That's in there. That's definitely in there. That's, that's one of the themes. But I would argue that the essence of this passage and this story is this idea that you actually have exactly what you need for the moment at hand. You actually have exactly what you need for the, for the problem that you're facing right now. You have all the tools, you have all the experiences, you have all the stories, you have all the connections, you have all the network, you have all of the things in your pocket that you need for whatever it is that you're facing. And you can empty your pockets. You can ask your friends, what do we got? You can look inwards and see, God, what have you given me in my soul? You can look outwards. What have you actually put in my wallet? And you can empty it out on a table. And you can think to yourself, this doesn't look like anything. You look out at the need and you say, God, I got nothing. But look again, friends, it's not nothing. It might look like a little in your hands, but if you put it in the right hands, it is just enough. It's exactly what you need for the problem that you're facing. It might not look like much, but maybe that's the point. Because it, if it looked like enough, then maybe God wouldn't get the praise that he's due. If it looked like enough, then maybe God wouldn't get the glory that he wants out of this story. People would say he had a lot as opposed to God took a little and made a lot. Friends, I want you to, to write down this question. The question isn't, do you have what you need? It's not, do you have what you need? The question is, do you see what you have? Do you see what you have, friends? See, this story is an invitation for us to see the things that we tend to overlook. 
there's a couple stories that, that came to mind. I thought of the innkeeper, and I thought of Joseph coming up with the pregnant Mary. He says, do you have anything? He says, no, I don't have any rooms. I've got nothing. All I've got is this room out back. All I've got is this stable where the animals are sleeping. But little did he know that that stable out back was the exact thing that God needed. Makes me think of this story in the Old Testament. There's this woman who was in great need. And there was a prophet named Elisha. And Elisha came and said, what do you have? She said, I don't have anything. That's her first response. I don't have anything. All I've got is this little jar of oil. But wouldn't you know that that little jar of oil that she had was the exact thing that God needed to actually create a blessing in her life and to demonstrate his power. Whenever we say, I don't have anything, all that I have is this. It's the this that Jesus is inviting you to see. Anytime that you say, I don't have anything, Lord, all I've got is this. It's that this that Jesus wants to use for his name's sake and for his glory. Makes me wonder what you're overlooking in your life that God might want to use. You're saying, all I got is these five loaves and these two tiny fish. I don't have anything. And Jesus is saying, oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. Check your pockets again. Jesus is always inviting us to use what we have, not lament what we lack. He's always inviting us to see what he's given us, not to look at what he's given our neighbor. And one of the places where I feel like we, we forget what we have is when it comes to the story that we've been given. I've heard so many people say, I don't have much of a story. You know, it's just that same old story that I, I grew up in a Christian home and I never really rebelled and I never traveled the world and I never did anything that was all that bad. And then all of a sudden I met Jesus and, and that was it. And first and foremost, that's only looking at your side of the story. That's not showing the fact that your story is actually not about you. It's about Jesus. And once you were dead, and then Jesus made us alive. And so he breathed life into your lifeless soul. And so if you think that your story is boring, maybe you're looking too much at yourself and not what God's done for you. So that's part one. But part two is let me tell you this, friend. If your story is yours, it is absolutely perfect for the calling that God's put on your life. It is, there is not a single story in the world that's better suited for the miracles that God wants to do through you than the story that you've been given. And it might be boring to you, but it is going to be compelling when the moment matters. I also hear this one a lot. Maybe you don't think you're particularly gifted. You, you, you can't do the, the, the trapeze, so you're like, I've I got nothing to offer the world. You, you can't play eight instruments at the same time and sing like Andy. You're like, I, I've got nothing. My voice isn't that great. But let me tell you this, friends, that's okay. The world doesn't need another Andy. What the world needs is for you to be you, to see the gifts that God's given you. Those are the gifts that God needs to actually complete the calling that he's placed on your life. There isn't a person alive today who's better suited for the miracles that God wants to do through you than you. Friends, the story is an invitation to see what you've already been given. It's not about what you lack. It's not about what you've lost. It's not about what you've left behind. The invitation in this story is to actually look at what you've been given, and it might look like five loaves and two fish, and you can say, Lord Jesus, this is all that I've got, but I want you to use it. I want you to magnify it and multiply it for your name and for your kingdom. And I might look like a fool for offering up this little in the presence of such great need, but I would rather look like a fool offering what I have than never actually offer anything at all.
I would actually rather be the fool who says, I've got these fish and I've got these loaves and they don't look like much, but God, I know that you are able. Friends, the voice of the enemy is always going to tell us what you lack. It's always going to point towards what you don't have. But the voice of Jesus is always pointing towards what you do have and what you've been given. And in this specific story, they had bread. So Jesus used bread. And in this story, they had fish. So Jesus used fish. And they gave the crowd a meal. And everyone ate and was satisfied. Scripture even tells us in John 6 that after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Which is just to say the people were finally starting to, to get it. They were starting to, to recognize that something bigger was at play. Something historic. Something significant. Something important was happening. Even the disciples were starting to see that this story was bigger than themselves, which was a miracle in and of itself. Scripture says that they set out after all the things that they'd seen. And so this story happens in Mark chapter 6. Like I said, it's in all of the Gospels. It's in Mark chapter 6. Immediately after the story in Mark's account, they actually get to see Jesus walking on water. It's pretty cool. They get to see the Lord of the universe walk on water towards them, call out their name. It says that their faith was strengthened. They got to witness it. They got to see it. They got to actually see the look in his eye. And soon after Jesus walked on the water, they saw him heal all sorts of sick and demon-possessed and deaf people. And again, their faith was strengthened. They got to be there. They got to be in the presence of it. And soon after that healing happened, we find a story that actually looks remarkably similar to the story that we just talked about, the feeding of the 5,000. And it's called the feeding of the 4,000. And I keep doing this. I, I keep telling myself I'm not going to, but I, I, I got to gotta ask you the question, what's the difference between the, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000? It's 1,000. I'm a new dad. I'm still working on my dad jokes, so give me grace. But what I need you to see, this is Mark chapter 8. This is two chapters after the feeding of the 5,000. So they witnessed it. They got to bring the bread. They held the bread that Jesus multiplied, and they brought it out to the masses. This is two chapters later. And what I need you to see is that this setup to this story is almost identical. There's a few key differences. This time the crowd is Gentiles instead of Jews, which is to say that the story of Jesus, the provision of Jesus isn't just for the in-group, it's for everyone. So there's a few details, but what I want you to see is that it's almost identical in its setup. There's a crowd of thousands of people who had followed Jesus into the wilderness because they'd heard stories about what he could do. It's in there. It's the same setup. And the crowd was growing hungry because they'd been fasting for three days without food. And Jesus again goes to the disciples and says, where are we going to get all this food? And remember, these are the disciples who had seen it. They'd witnessed it before. They were the ones who brought the bread that was made into many out to the masses. And in this quintessential moment of the story, after all the disciples had seen, they'd seen Jesus walk on water, after all they'd learned, after all they'd experienced and participated in, this is their response. Wait for it because it is remarkable. They say, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread? Where could anyone get enough bread to feed all of these? And I read this and I'm like, come on! Come on, are you serious? 
We just did this two chapters ago. This was just on the other side of the lake. You've seen so much. You saw Jesus walk on water. You're still looking at the lack of bread when the bread of life is standing right in front of you. Come on, people. How hard can it be? You've seen so much. Why can't you see this that's right in front of you? And it makes me wonder, friends, how many of you have ever had one of these moments where you had a thought, if only I could have just seen it. If only I could have just seen it, then maybe... If only I could have just held the bread and brought it out to the people, maybe then I wouldn't struggle with doubt. If, I'll, if only, God, I could have just had one conversation face-to-face -face with Jesus, then maybe I wouldn't be making the same mistakes that I used to make. Anyone in here ever have one of those moments? If only, God, you could have just done one miraculous thing in my life. If I could have been used in a profound and powerful way, maybe then I would be a changed person. I wouldn't struggle with doubt. I wouldn't make the same mistakes that I used to make. If only, God, I could have been there. Then maybe I wouldn't continue to be blind to the opportunities that are right in front of me. And I love this story of the feeding of the 4,000 because it shows us that it's simply not true. It's not true. The disciples did it all. They saw it all. They experienced it all. And they still struggled with doubt. So if any of you are having any of those moments where you say, if only God would just, then I would do this. If you have any, if only God would show up in a certain way, then I would be faithful. This is your cordial, this is your formal invitation to set aside those comments and to actually step in confidence into the mystery that God's calling you. If any of you have those, if only God would, then I would moments. If you're saying, Jesus, I just need a sign. Here's your sign. This is your sign. This is your moment. God is inviting you to prepare in faith, and then he's going to bring the provision. This is the story of Jesus. He's inviting us into faith, not certainty. Because every time that we step into the uncertainty, it's another opportunity for him to show his faithfulness. So if you're looking for a sign, this is it. Jesus is inviting you into the uncomfortable because he wants to do the miraculous. You have exactly what you need. And the voice of Jesus is inviting you to see that it's not about witnessing another miracle. It's about allowing the miracles you've already witnessed to change you. It's about actually looking backwards to see God's faithfulness. Because maybe if I could just remember the last one, maybe I won't mix, miss the next one. This is where the disciples missed it. They couldn't remember the last one. So they didn't see what their opportunity was in the next one. But the good news is that even though that was what they were predisposed to do, Jesus still invited them to carry the bread out to the people. Friends, this is a moment. This story is an invitation for us. It's all about praising God for the prayers he's already answered. How many of you guys have prayed prayers that God has answered in this room? But it's so easy for us to forget about the prayers that he's already answered when we're praying our new prayers. It's about thanking God for the things that he's already given us. It's about extending a hand of total praise towards God's faithfulness in the future because we've seen him be faithful in the past. We've seen him answer promises in our lives. And friends, I don't know about you, but I've seen way too much of God's faithfulness to continue in my doubt. I've seen way too many of the prayers that I once prayed become the life that I now live. I've seen way too many of the moments that I wished away that I said, God, would you take me out of this? I've seen way too much of the good that's come from staying in it. Because God was preparing me, he was shaping me for that which was next. And I was a little bit too preoccupied about what was happening now. I've seen too much of the goodness of God to continue in my doubt. And the invitation is to look backwards towards the miracles that we've already witnessed and to allow that to actually 
give us sight to see what's in front of us. Now, I don't want you to think that, that I'm reading this story selectively. I've seen God say yes. I've seen God say no. I've seen the good days and I've seen the bad days. I've seen friends who were healed and I've seen friends who weren't healed. But I know this, my friends. God has been faithful every step of the way. He doesn't need to earn my trust. He's already earned it. Anybody else? He, hasn't, I mean, he doesn't need to earn my trust. He's actually already earned it. He has a track record that's perfect. And he's going to be faithful in our future. So I can say with confidence that my help comes from the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And I might not know when that help is going to come. And I might not know what it's going to look like. You can sure bet that I'm going to be waiting expectantly. You can sure bet that I'm going to stand here and I'm going to actually overcome to the best of my ability my disbelief. And I'm going to step into the mystery knowing that God's going to meet me there. And that's the invitation for us today. We don't just need a friend. We have a friend in Jesus. He is a friend of sinners. And each one of us are invited to take our stories, to take the giftings that we've been given and to go be a blessing in the world. So will you stand with me as we close? We're going to end. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to praise together. We're going to sing the song that's all about God's done it before. And we believe that he can do it again. So receive this prayer. Lord Jesus. We pray that you would give us eyes to see the things that you have put in us. God, the gifts, the connections, the people. God, we might look at it and it might look small to us, but it's not nothing. God, you want to use what we have, not what we lack. You want us to pay keen attention to the things we've been given, not the things that others have been given. God, you've given us everything that we need for the purpose that you created us for. God, so would you give us boldness as we walk into the calling that you've placed on our lives? Would this be a place that's marked by faith, a place that's marked by sight, God, that we would see the things that you've given us. We would actually check our pockets again and say, God, will you use this? And I might be a fool to offer such little in the presence of such great need, but I'd, be a, I'd rather be a fool offering what I've got than to live a life where I never try. God, you're good, you're glorious, and we believe that you're gonna do it again. Pray all this in your name, amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.